Welcome to Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. Welcome, everyone. Many thanks for joining this Sarah Week conversation by IHS Markets, where we'll be discussing electric vehicle charging infrastructure. My name is Graham Evans. I'm Associate Director in the Auto Supply Chain Technology Team. I would like to welcome my two, des- uh, two guests today. We have Eric Siddle, SVP of Engineering from ChargePoint, and Alex Grusen, CEO from Ytricity. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Oh, great to be here. Great to be here. Fantastic. Okay, so we'll start with a few, uh, just by way of introduction, uh, maybe with you, Eric, first, please. Um, maybe if you could just tell us in a few sentences a little bit about ChargePoint, the impressive scale you've built to date, and, and, and what's coming from, from, your side, from your side in the next couple of years. Hi, thanks, Graham. Uh, and hello, everyone. Hope all are well and safe. ChargePoint, as you said, has uh, built itself out to be one of the largest uh, EV charging networks in the world. Um, over more than a decade, we've become an industry leader offering end-to-end solutions across multiple verticals, North America and Europe. And across those verticals, we focus on multifamily, home, workplace, fleet. Um, and to add to that, we add an array of software-defined hardware and software suite that lists features like analytics, um, like energy management, uh, place in line. Uh, so it's a diverse uh, portfolio, which is great. Um, added to the 100,000 100,000 places to charge, which adds the, the, the breadth of it. From coming years, uh, you asked about uh, moving in, we're adding and uh, honing in on improving the existing markets that we already have. Um, we're improving on those capabilities and the charging capabilities, as well as developing solutions into next generation um, and expansion of new fueling networks, uh, continuing to build out things like fleet, um, ride sharing, as well as delivery of goods and uh, different interconnect around charging. Okay, great. And, and just by way of follow-up, it's been a pretty exciting week or so for ChargePoint. Just last week, announcing the, uh, the huge milestone in the decision to go public. So maybe you could give us just a few words on the, perhaps on the timing and the, the opportunities that you hope this is going to open up for the business. It is definitely interesting times for ChargePoint. It's also interesting times for just electric mobility in general. Um, regarding the announcements that just came out, uh, most of the information is available on our website, on the ChargePoint website, but our goal remains the same as just mentioned, uh, advancing, uh, uh, using, advancing commercial fleet, residential, and all the businesses um, across North America, Europe, et cetera. Um, and continuing the R&D growth for that expansion, um, as Alex will probably mention, moving into different and alternate interconnect. We're also doing, uh, doing investigations in, into, the, into the light. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay, so good luck with the listings. And, um, and, and to you, Alex, I mean, obviously, the, the principle of wireless charging is, is, is familiar to most, but perhaps on electric vehicles in particular, uh, not so familiar to all. So, I mean, could you give us an introduction to perhaps the pioneering role that Wytricity has played in, in this technology to debate to date? Sure. Yeah, thank you, Graham. And I'm glad to be here and excited to be on a panel with Eric with all the developments happening in electric mobility and how all of us are trying to help enable that and make it go faster. Um, Wytricity uh, was founded back in 2007. In fact, we came out of the physics department at MIT um, around a really unique principle on how to move electric power uh, at a distance efficiently. And uh, while the core technology can scale some from milliwatts 
up to kilowatts. Uh, for over a decade now, we've been working with automotive uh, OEMs, the automotive brands and their tier one suppliers to enable wireless EV charging. And our technology is known generally as magnetic resonance. But in those 10 years, we've been working with the global uh, standards committees to build a common wireless charging standard across all automobiles. That's actually uh, been published now, um, adopted by uh, and ratified by automakers around the world. And what we do is we uh, allow wireless charging a vehicle as efficiently as if you plugged in. And so you can just park the car and just walk away and it'll start charging. You don't have to think about it. So it's an exciting development to really make EVs more appealing to more customers around the world. That's really the goal. It also sets a great foundation for a future that's, that's autonomous. And just to explain what electricity does is we, we, our technology sort of system development and uh, licensing uh, company, right? So we work with the OEMs and their tier one suppliers. We provide reference designs that enable them to enter this wireless charging business. And then we license that technology. Uh, we have over a thousand uh, issued patents uh, globally in the space and all the sort of essential reference designs that can enable a company to bring wireless charging to market. Fantastic. I mean, you touched upon the, the, the standards there, there briefly. I mean, could you tell us a little bit about the, the success you've recently had in China with, with ratification of the, of the wireless charging standard there? Yeah. So, you know, China is a very important market for global growth of EVs and a lot of uh, automakers, you know, whether you're Chinese or, or, or in the Western world, um, see China as a, a critical target market. For over four years, we've been working with the China Electricity Council and their efforts to create what's known as a GB standard. And earlier this summer, that was in fact published, uh, incorporates our essential IP. But really, our effort over the past few years was to make sure that that was in harmony with what is going on at other organizations such as the SAE, the ISO, and the IEC, the other global standards groups. So what we've been able to do is set a global wireless charging standard, uh, which is something just sort of wasn't, didn't happen with plugs and, and frankly has been a point of frustration, I think, for EV owners and for uh, the EV makers as well, that each region had a different uh, you know, plug and cable and approach. And uh, the industry said never again. So when we're, if, the, if the next step is to go into wireless, let's do it in a common way that can work across all vehicles. So that standard was published in China and the global standard through an or a critical organization, the SAE is, is being published uh, as we speak. It's a great step. Yeah. Fantastic. And we can't go too far into this discussion without, without touching upon COVID-19, unfortunately, and the, you know, the unprecedented times in, in which we are all, we're all living, um, you know, living our lives and, and managing businesses. Um, I mean, maybe Eric, if we could get, you know, such upon you know, as an established hardware manufacturing network provider. Maybe some thoughts on how the, the, the pandemic has been impacting you operationally in terms of demand for your, you know, your services. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been challenging times as, you, as you've mentioned it. Um, the, one, the first point I wanna mention, you mentioned hardware, uh, and then we'll touch on software and some of the other segments we have. Um, our operations team has done an amazing job. Uh, we have an incredible supply chain team that's rose to all the different challenges. Um, 
to get ahead of things like purchasing purchasing ahead or if a manufacturing of a specific part, if the factory closed for a week or two, which has happened to find alternates and scrambling to find alternates, both the engineering and the operations team have done that, um, finding second source and things like that. So it's just been a constant moving, constant moving targets that, that uh, a large group of people have, have rose up to successfully to meet. Um, don't get me wrong, it hasn't had its challenges. Um, just, you know, developing some of the hardware and software and some of the laboratories, and this applies to every industry across, um, is that, you know, working in the laboratories, engineering, working in laboratories has been challenging just due to the restrictions. But there's creative ways that we've uh, stepped up. Um, our sales and marketing also have done a great job uh, at rising up to be creative and finding different uh, different methodologies uh, to to overcome uh, impacts to the business. So we've set targets and we beat those targets each time, which is good. Um, and we didn't even set low targets for ourselves. And then on the software development side across all our cloud services, as you can imagine, remote work on that has been a little bit easier, but also ch challenging in its own ways, especially with the breadth um, and the multinational uh, offices that ChargePoint has. You mentioned utilization. This is an interesting point. Um, what we've seen is that, as expected, there's been a reduction in utilization um, and charging at workplace, retail, um, as companies transition and as people transition to more uh, virtual environments and stores are closed for a while for the shelter in place, et cetera. But one really interesting point is that on multifamily and commercial real estate, um, you know, you think about what I was describing earlier, homes are becoming a workplace. Uh, you're not driving to your office, you're doing your work out of your house, which has its own challenges. But we've seen a lot of developers, we've seen a lot of landlords, we've seen a lot of businesses uh, rise to that challenge and say, okay, we're going to put in charging here, uh, we're going to help, which is helping foster uh, electrification and electric transportation, which is wonderful. One of the brighter spots in uptick we would see is fleet, fleet electrification for on-demand services uh, increased uh, significantly as consumers um, start moving over to what we were talking about earlier, virtual and uh, the various delivery services uh, during the pandemic. So that's been, that's been interesting and has, has had a decent uptick. We expect to see the market grow across the board uh, for all of these. Um, the charts that show the growth of electrification and electric transportation is, is exploding. And one final um, point that I think is really interesting is that um, with cleaner air in the cities, less vehicles, uh, people, you know, have taken notice. I think there's a renewed focus and interest on sustainability. And I think that's really good for all of us. I think it's good, not just for this industry, but for all of us um, as, as we move into electrification and uh, it drives electric mobility. So, so that's been an interesting advantage. Um, but lots of challenges in summary, huge amounts of challenges. And it's just trying to hit the targets, set targets for yourself and find creative ways around it. Maybe Alex, I mean, obviously a slightly different stage on the deployment curve, really, by electricity and, and perhaps a few less tangible operational responsibilities in terms of stations, but nevertheless on a very critical path. Um, could you give us a few thoughts on how the pandemic has affected you? Sure. Well, so I think that, you know, there is absolutely the macro level and then the micro level, right? So at the, at the macro level, I think Eric just articulated that, right? The, you know, I think around the world, people have gotten a taste of what, uh, a city could be like with less traffic, um, you know, and just sort of like the critical imperative to continue to get diesel buses, diesel taxis, and just you know, air pollution out of the out of the urban environment is really essential. And we need to continue to promote electric vehicles. And I think 
you're seeing governments around the world responding to the pandemic and looking at how are we going to go stimulate the economy. Uh, Europe has really taken a, a significant push to increase the incentives and build a whole plan around you know, economic stimulation through focusing on electrification of transportation. So that's a big positive step. You know, it, it's continued in, in China as, you know, China, the government support for electrification has been strong. And uh, just this past week, you know, California made a really, uh, you know, groundbreaking statement that, you know, by 2035, they want to eliminate the sales of internal combustion engines. You know, that is, both, is not necessarily just COVID, but just looking overall at the significance of climate change, especially in the context of the fires and um, and drought and such, and saying it's it's time to make a bolder move. So these are all at the macro level, uh, major uh, accelerants for electrification. I mean, very positive for our business and increasing attention. If you go specifically to COVID, I think the again at the macro level, everything you know, technology, many forms are trying to go hands free. I mean, I think just natural anxiety with going to a gas pump and with even touching electrical cords. And, you know, if we can go hands-free with everything, uh, you know, that's, that's a positive. That's showing up in our conversations with automakers now for the first time. And a lot of conversations with providers of uh, autonomous delivery vehicles, right? So a big push in this COVID environment of how to get that last mile of delivery. You know, anytime there's autonomy, it's a very ripe opportunity for wireless charging because there's no one to plug that autonomous vehicle in. So the fact that it can just go and charge and, and then go along its way is something that's sort of unique to electricity's technology. At the micro level, um, we're, we are, well, we're based in the Boston area in Watertown, Massachusetts, just up the river from MIT. We have teams in China and South Korea uh, and in, in Zurich, Switzerland that uh, at various times were either uh, shut down before Massachusetts shut down, whereas Massachusetts was uh, closing down, uh, our China uh, customers and our team there were just opening back up again. And Switzerland never shut down. So it's been a very uh, dynamic environment for us to kind of shift work around the world, send hardware uh, to Switzerland so tests could be done there having all of our software developers work from home. Uh, yeah, we've been really resilient and, and really haven't, haven't missed a beat in terms of our customer deliveries. And, and we're on track, uh, you know, to, to we actually are already shipping pre-production samples from our uh, customers to automakers and everything continues on track for, for product launch in the next uh, year or two. Fantastic. I mean, we obviously you both touched upon the fact that, you know, the, if you like, the industry direction of travel is kind of set now, you know, towards electrification. There's this imminent swathe of EVs, you know, about to, about to come to market. And indeed, our, our latest forecast suggests by about 2030, we'll be you know, about 23% of light passenger vehicles produced will be, will be plug-in capable. So, so certainly some, you know, some very, some very positive numbers. I mean, maybe Eric, you could talk about, you know, perhaps the industry commitment to plug-in technology and, and, you know, so far, you know, for ChargePoint, is this, is this really tangible? Uh, do, you, do you see this growth reflected in, in your utilization figures and your, you know, your, your, your short-term growth plan, perhaps? Yeah, you know, as you mentioned about the growth, the industry has a long way to go. If you look at the predictive charts and the esti and estimated based on data charts that show the growth of the industry, it's, it's phenomenal. It is incredible. 
Um, and so we're just getting started, uh, which is really exciting. At ChargePoint early on, and it, you know, been around more than a decade, uh, have seen the, the different connectors come and go. Alex touched on it and uh, some of the, you know, preferred get it harmonious. And you can see the industry starting to move a little bit toward that. Um, but historically, as you look through multiple industries um, across, across mobile devices, uh, computing and many others, automotive and otherwise, you see that, um, that interconnect lasting decades is a common thing, especially long after expected use. Um, and this still goes on today. Uh, technology with uh, you know, some semblance of a standardized interconnect system, we believe is gonna remain in the very far future. Um, take high power charging, for example, the, there's bodies such as Charin and Chaoji are trying to harmonize on higher power, you know, we mentioned fleet, uh, we mentioned um, transportation of goods, uh, they're harmonizing on that. So it's narrowing down a little bit, which is great, um, as he mentioned, is, is ideal. From a utilization standpoint, we have seen zero hesitation. Obviously, there's the dip in use from COVID-19, but um, we've seen no hesitation, no withdrawal on using interconnect as a means to plug in. Um, now, part of that might be that, you know, part of that might be because people haven't seen uh, or aren't being given the alternates right now, but we just don't see hesitation there, to be, to be honest. Now, I want to caveat that because um, I know Alex is going to jump in here, um, as he should. Uh, I want to caveat that with the fact that um, ChargePoint, you mentioned uh, research and development and what we're looking at in the future we monitor and engage in all sorts of technologies for the future and um, already have plans to meet those technologies should the use cases rise up. Um, you see the use cases coming into the OEMs, into the vehicles. We already have plans for that and we already look at that kind of stuff. So it is not something we leave off, off the books. We just haven't seen a pullback just yet. Great, it's okay. It's very, uh, yeah, harmonious. Over to you, Alex. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Alex, just thought to be, yeah, maybe Alex. Sorry, I didn't um, make it confrontational enough. No, it does. <laughs> I'll try my best, yeah. Um, maybe Alex, yeah, just share some thoughts on the, you know, the timeline over which we might expect to see wireless charging, perhaps both in the, both in the public domain, but also the private domain. Sure. So let's, let's talk about the public, you know, uh, cars coming from an automaker with built-in wireless charging, right? Mm -hmm. That's been our goal, right? We've been doing the, the really the hard work uh, in building the technology platform. Um, a year ago, uh, about a year and a half ago, I acquired Qualcomm Halo, which allowed us to integrate really between Whitricity and Qualcomm Halo had the lion's share of, of the sort of the architecture and the work and the technology that was being promoted for electric vehicle wireless charging. We consolidated the team, consolidated the technology roadmap, sort of made best of breed solution and consolidated the actual property portfolio. So now there's one you know, IP portfolio that spans you know, every element of a full solution. So you can come to one place to take a license to launch uh, wireless charging for electric vehicles. But uh, you know, the, the work in developing the core technology platform has been in our labs, but also with the tier one suppliers who support global automakers. And so we're now at the stage where you're starting to see the fruits of that effort. Um, just about a month ago, uh, you saw uh, McLaren announce on their Speedtail, which is just an extraordinary car, that it comes with uh, you know, factory installed uh, standard feature wireless charging for its uh, hybrid battery. 
And, uh, you know, that allows that vehicle to always be ready to deliver full performance. And while, you know, we can talk about that being a supercar, that's great. You know, it also acts as like a pipe cleaner through the system, you know, as one of the first commercially available uh, vehicles. You still have to go get through FCC. You still have to go through UL certification. And so it allowed those organizations to sort of lock in what the standard process is. So I feel like we've been building all the building blocks. Just this week, a major brand uh, at the Beijing Auto Show displayed wireless charging on the show floor. Just, just this weekend, the Beijing Auto Show uh, is underway uh, as we speak right now as we're recording this uh, video. Um, but that's also a major milestone, right? It shows that you know, the China standard was announced earlier this summer and already Chinese automakers are publicly showing the fruits of, of everyone's labor and bringing vehicles to market. So, you know, this is something that is rolling out. We have several customers that are rolling out, you know, global brands over the course of the next few years. So it's, a, we're, you know, we're at the beginning stages, but it's happening. And again, my goal is just to make charging as simple as parking your car. And I view that that is really essential for capturing the next wave of buyers. You know, I'd say in EVs, we're generally still at the early adopter stage, right? To catch, capture mass market mainstream buyers and bring them into the fold, I want to deliver, you know, really an enhanced experience that is just way beyond whatever was even possible with gasoline. So there's just really no hesitation or question that my next vehicle will be an EV. Fantastic. And I think, unfortunately, all of those McLarens are sold out. So we might have to wait for our opportunity. Yeah, I'm just happy to get a that, that, has, that hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> Great. I mean, I, I think we can't continue the discussion maybe without, um, without mentioning, you know, cautious, cautious adopters and the fact that this recurring theme of infrastructure comes up as something of a, something of a barrier. You know, we, we conducted a consumer survey last year with IHS Market, which identified you know, three out of the top four reasons to, to not buy an EV or to not, not go back and buy another EV were related to either charging infrastructure or range. So, so perhaps, you know, maybe Eric, how do, we, how do we overcome this perception of infrastructure being an issue and perhaps, especially the messaging, you know, who, who needs to take the lead in terms of the, you know, the communication to consumers and these potential adopters that, you know, we have the technology here, it's, it's in place and, and, and go out and use it. Um, so this, this question is right on point. Um, the, in the public today, there is a broad key misconception uh, with infrastructure scaling versus demand. And it undercuts, as you're alluding to, it undercuts the new fueling behavior of owning and operating an EV. And the context of that behavior of operating an EV is, is important. Um, let me give an example is if you're somebody who, uh, without COVID-19, uh, who's driving uh, to your workplace and you drive maybe five miles. You want a vehicle uh, like a Chevy. You want a smaller vehicle that allows you to, you know, to get there because you're in the vehicle by yourself. Um, you don't necessarily want an electric minivan. Um, so that's really important as far as, you know, the use case and the drivability and, and et cetera. In addition to that, some of the other misconceptions is around where you're charging. Um, it's not like the traditional fueling of a vehicle where if you hit low fuel light or if you hit, um, you know, most people, it's somewhere between a quarter tank and an eighth tank where they go to the gas station. Uh, with electric vehicles, overwhelmingly, 80%, something like that, over 80% of the vehicles 
are charged where the vehicle spends most of its time. Um, Alex was alluding to that as well. Um, and this, in this, in this example, it's working at home. So that's an important message to get out to people is that if you have a charger at work, uh, your workplace is built out, your home charging is built out, then boom, there's 80% of the use cases. Uh, there's a 20% we alluded to earlier around errands, shopping, or otherwise. Um, believe it or not, it is a very small percentage that use fast charging on corridors and highways for people who are driving city to city and, um, on a trip. So that's a misconception, major misconceptions that we just, we just have to get the message out um, to help for EV adoption and transportation. Uh, a lot of the vehicles, as I mentioned earlier, um, today are getting bigger batteries. Um, so, so the OEMs and the vehicles, you know, that meeting infrastructure companies like us, like what ChargePoint's doing, working with infrastructure build out companies. Um, and then in addition to that, messaging that comes through utilities, governments, and that's state, that's uh, federal, that's city governments, you know, working with them to get messaging out and ChargePoint's doing that extensively. Um, and, and that's to get out the fueling and, and that fueling for electric vehicles can meet the uptick in adoption um, to get that messaging out. Uh, you know, from that point, there's, there's getting the messaging out with others. Um, and, and that includes other fueling networks like other EBSEs and other uh, total networks. Like we mentioned, it's a software and hardware discussion and a holistic discussion. And it's why we're so broad in our technology we work with companies like, you know, we work with organizations like Electrify America and Green Lots, um, EVGo, EVBox, uh, Verda in Europe, uh, Energy and others um, to create this, this network, this roaming network that allows, if you have a charge point card and you have a charge point account, you can, if, if you happen to be closer to one of them, you can, you can charge because we have bilateral agreements that allow you to, to move the accounts and charge. So that kind of information is extremely important. So people know if I get a charge point account while our network is one of the biggest, um, they know that they can go to others. And even on our app now, because of those bilo uh, bilateral roaming agreements, you can search for uh, a place to fuel your car. And if there isn't a charge point there, then you'll see one of, one of our partners. So we've built out more than 133,000 uh, ports just from that alone. So those are the kind of, so to summarize, uh, it's different people a part of the EVSE and the charging network. It's, um, you know, the policy side is governments and utilities and others, the different uh, levels of governments. And it's just coming out with that common message of, of breaking the mold of traditional thinking on how the fueling happens um, mm -hmm. uh, to increase adoption. Fantastic. Yeah. I think this interoperability question and the, the ability to go to a particular station and know that you can charge regardless of whether you're a customer of any of these particular charge point operators. I think this is, this is critical to overcome. Absolutely. Um, great. Yeah, great. And I think um, maybe Alex, I mean, obviously naturally you're of the belief that, that, that wireless charging forms the part of a, a perhaps a more seamless solution. Um, maybe my question to you is, you know, can it be, can it be fast enough? Can it be cheap enough? And can it be ubiquitous enough really to, um, to, to perhaps win over some of these more reluctant adopters? Well, so, you know, I, I don't think we're in an either or choice, right? I, I think that, um, People need to know that if they want to drive from LA to San Francisco or Boston to DC, that they can get there if they buy an EV. And so, you know, the effort that ChargePoint and Electrify America and others are, are making to, you know, deploy nationwide networks, the same effort is happening in Europe and in China, um, is really critical, right? People need to have the comfort that they're, that, you know, that they're, they haven't made a stupid choice in 
choosing to buy a, an EV that you can't get to grandma's house, right? So uh, that's still, that's there and, and, and it needs to be visible. And I think for the broad population, they need to get comfort that, you know, it's a sm still a smart choice to buy an EV. But what Eric just said was really important. It, it is not where you're going to do your day-to-day -day charging, right? It is you're, you're going to charge where you park. And I think from a global sort of energy economy point of view, if we felt that every EV was going to have to charge at, at 50 kilowatts or 120 kilowatts or whatever, I don't think that the energy infrastructure could handle it. Certainly the economics of building out fast charging stations are you know, much more expensive. The infrastructure is harder, harder much more expensive. The, the uh, utility companies have demand charges. If you want to avoid those, you have to put a lot of battery storage and it just raises the capital infrastructure costs, which flows to customers. And, if you're not utilizing it 24 hours a day, I don't know how economically viable it ends up being. So it's a necessary condition that we have all the broad deployment of this DC fast charging and, and publicly visible infrastructure. But we, as, a, as an energy economy, as an EV economy, we need to make it really easy for people to park where they charge. We economically need people to park where they're gonna be um, rather to charge where they're going to be parked, uh, whether it's at work uh, or at home. And so that could be the plugins that have been deployed today. And I hope in the future that will be, you know, wireless too, to just make it that much uh, simpler. But, you know, there, there's a bit of a fast charging arms race going on among automakers that is adding, uh, you know, cost to the cars in their charging infrastructure and in their cooling and in battery life. And, and I think we need to take a little pause and say that's necessary for long distance driving as a range extender, but we, we really should, would be better to, you know, making those investments in broad deployment of, of charging capability where people park. I think that's probably, you know, in the long run, you know, where we need to go. Okay. Yeah. So the right mix of technology in the right place, reliable, available, and yeah, sufficient quantity. And getting and getting that power pulled to as many parking spots as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, very. You know, it could start out as as wired, but you know, once that's done, it's very easy to add wireless later. Fantastic, Grace. Um, I mean, one one final question that I've been desperate to 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 ask to both of you, really. I mean, if. You know, if there's, if there's one thing that, that both of you could change right now in terms of the industry, maybe it's your, you know, your bugbear or perhaps the, the one frustration that's holding back you, you know, your business and in terms of really accelerating things, I mean, what would, what would that be? And, and how do you think we would overcome that? So maybe to you first, Eric. Yeah, sure. Model availability for vehicles. I mean, this one's pretty straightforward. Uh, I mentioned the example of a commuter that wants to go five miles um, or whatever, whatever the distance is and might want a smaller vehicle for, for loan commuting or even commuting with one other person, they might not want to buy a large van or a large truck or whatever. Uh, so in this case, most of the vehicles coming out, uh, the battery, uh, the fully electric vehicles are the other way around, but imagine a caregiver that wants, you know, has a couple of children or parents and wants the electric minivan and can't find it. So uh, model availability is key, um, but it doesn't just apply to consumers. Um, it applies to some of the other segments that we talked about, to all of the other segments. Um, a freight hauler or a, somebody who's trying to deliver um, might not want a semi-trailer, right? Might not want a large truck. They might want a sprinter van, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
the OEMs are doing a good job of trying to push forward everywhere they can, but that's just key. You know, getting more model, model availability out is, is going to be a big win for the different use cases and the different verticals. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, that comes with the communications. Here's when they're going to come out. Here's when we're moving in and here's when you can, you know, and other use cases as we discussed, which will help expand the market. To touch finally on uh, the verticals and segments, like we mentioned, um, you know, I talked earlier about how ChargePoint, the breadth and depth of our technology is in, you know, software, hardware, and all services that we entail is to hit all the different verticals and all the different markets with that technology and with the services that we have. Um, the increased, so that comes up from one side, as Alex was mentioning, working with infrastructure and the services therein, and from the other side, the vehicles coming in with, um, you know, model availability and et cetera. And that's a good harmonious, um, the, the, the uptick in electrification will, will be huge. And that's, that's when things are really gonna start to take off. So helps not just uh, electrification, but environment as well. So excited. Yeah, big ambitions, great. And yeah, maybe to you, Alex, as well. Um, the, one, you know, the, the one thing maybe that would, would really move the needle for charge points for, for electricity, pardon me. So, you know, obviously we've been, you know, been working on EV charging for over a decade. Yeah. Um, it's been exciting to see, you know, finally the acceleration in EVs, right? I mean, we always knew that we had something special for electric vehicle charging, but, you know, the overall market needed to be, you know, be there for the cars themselves. And in the past, say, four years, it's kind of a sea change uh, in acceleration. So that, you know, that, that gives us a TAM, right? I mean, that gives us an available market to go after. And, you know, the aspirations that the automakers are going beyond early adopters and, and, and trying to reach, you know, to the mainstream. We've done, as I said, the, the heavy lifting and getting the foundation set, industry standards, fully complete reference designs and automakers launching now uh, in the next two uh, years, uh, global platforms, right? And so I think, you know, now it's a time as, as Eric referenced to start shifting into the work with fleets where there's a bit more of an opportunity for sort of retrofitting to vehicles as opposed to enabling a factory for mass market deployment. You know, we're a venture-backed company. Uh, we're just close to significant new funding round. Uh, and, uh, you know, what you'll see is us now starting to branch out beyond the fundamental enabling to higher power levels, supporting fleets. And that can go from delivery vehicles to, uh, to taxis to autonomous people movers uh, with some of our strategic partners. So, you know, that's you know, lay, I, we've been laying the foundation and now we're, we'll have the room to start focusing in on some more verticals. Fantastic, exciting times. So um, yeah, thank you very much for, um, for sharing those insights. And that concludes the session today. Thank you both very much for your participation. Thank you for joining us. It's been, it's been a good discussion between, um, between two sides of the technology spectrum, perhaps on the same topic. Um, really appreciate your time today, gentlemen. And, thank you, Graham. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sierraweek.com.